Today we are continuing in our series, In the Need of Grace. Through this series, we have been watching Jesus as he has interacted with different groups or individuals in his earthly ministry. And so, last week, we talked about the children and how they needed the welcome of Jesus. They needed the grace of his welcome. We also talked about those who were trying to keep the kids away from Jesus. They needed to know that in order for them to experience the depth of grace of Jesus Christ, they need to approach him as would a little child. So this week, we're going to look at what happened with Jesus as he traveled from village to village on his way to Jerusalem. And in this particular village, um, Jesus was invited to dinner at a Pharisee's house, one of the leaders of this village, and he agreed to come. Um, So, as I looked at this, the more I studied Luke chapter 14, that's the basis for this message, I thought maybe we should do this in a first-person format. So, (laughs) I'm going to do that. Uh, You know, Ignatius of Loyola would teach his disciples to enter into a scripture passage with imagination, and one of the ways he encouraged people to do is make put yourself as a person in that particular scenario. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, so uh, we're going to take a whirl of this. I, I don't know if it'll work or not, but we'll see. <laughs> Whatever, you'll have the Word of God before you, and God works in and through His Word. So we're talking about a dinner with a rabbi, and as you see, this uh, group of August gentlemen. Um, that is exactly how the people of Israel would eat in those days. They didn't sit at a table, they reclined at table. Now, I don't think the disciples wore uh, clothing that fancy or that colorful. First of all, they couldn't afford it. Uh, You know, they had the basic tans and and grays and browns and so on. Um, But as you see how these men interacted with each other, that's exactly what's happening in this passage. So I'm going to take on the persona of one of the Pharisees. And if you don't know what a Pharisee is, he is a member of a very strict religious sect of the Jews that believed in the absolute obedience to the law of God. In fact, they've made up 630 more laws that would keep them away from even getting close to breaking one of the major laws. So they were very tightly restricted. And so Jesus speaks into that. Our sermon in a sentence today is this. Jesus challenges people in order to help them see their need for grace. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you. You are present right here in this space. But more importantly, you are present in each one who believes in you. Will you work by your word, by your spirit in each of us to cause us to draw nearer to you, to appreciate and love you more, and to walk in the grace that you offer us? We ask that now in Jesus' name. They call me Issachar. I'm a Pharisee. Today was an exceptional day. A traveling rabbi came to our village. All the leading Pharisees and experts in the law eagerly awaited hearing from this Yeshua at our dinner. 
it was a long-standing tradition to receive a traveling rabbi and examine him and change, um, exchange theological and political ideas back and forth. And so this Yeshua we had heard about had said some really outrageous things and we were ready to set him straight. We were ready to tell him what was what. We'd also heard that he healed a few people and that was more than we could think, but we wanted to talk to this man. So as Yeshua walked into Asher's home, he was our host. It was an open air dining area. Asher had brought a man from the village named Chaim. Chaim had dropsy. He was disgustingly bloated. He had been drinking so long and so hard that he was having trouble breathing and moving. And we set Chaim here in front of Jesus to see whether he would break the Sabbath by doing the work of healing on this day. And Jesus, Yeshua, looked around. And he asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? No one said anything. We just stared at him. So he shook his head. He put his hand on Chaim and prayed briefly. We watched this man shrink before our eyes. All the extra weight and bloating came off of him. He shrunk down to the size of a normal human being. He was breathing easily and he was standing and walking freely. We'd never seen anything like that, ever. It's impossible, but there it was right in front of our eyes. Yet, Yeshua had broken the Sabbath by doing this. And so he turned and looked at each one of us and said, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Huh. Uh, um, we looked at each other and stunned. Asher kind of jerked his head at me saying, say something, but, but I didn't know what to say, so I shook my head. And so he looked at Ehud, and Ehud just shrugged his shoulders. We had no answer. So much for matching wits with this rabbi. After a while, Asher showed Yeshua to his place of honor at the head of the table. And it took several minutes for the rest of us to figure out who would sit where. There was some arguing. There was some pushing and shoving. No, I belong here. No, I belong here. I take this, I take this place of honor. And, and so for several minutes, we were jockeying around the table trying to figure out who would sit where. Well, when I finally settled into my space, um, <laughs> I could see a sly smile on Yeshua's face and a little gleam in his eye, and uh, he proceeded to give us a lesson on social etiquette. And thankfully, we had a scribe there, so he wrote down everything that Yeshua had said, and this is, in fact, what he said. 
When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, no one said anything. What made this man think he could say such condemning things to the leaders of our village, the important men that were here? I've never seen our village leaders so tongue-tied. Normally, we would be talking and often several of us at the same time bouncing ideas around. But we were quiet here. His words came too close to home. Yet, hey, we were here to have a good debate, and that's how good debates often start. Somebody says something outrageous, and then we interact with that. So we were ready to pick up and move forward in this engagement with this Yeshua. So silence continued for a little while, and Yeshua started up again. He had the absolute audacity to tell Asher, our host, whom he should invite the next time he has a dinner. And this is what he said. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And as soon as Yeshua finished, Ehud shouted out, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Brilliant, brilliant. We were waiting for that opening. You see, we could talk about the big question that we, that we mentioned most of the time, and that was who was worthy to sit at the table with the Messiah in his kingdom. Our people had been talking about that for 700 years. It started with the prophet Isaiah. And since I'm the cantor for our synagogue, I will chant part of chapter 25 of Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. 
He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Isaiah started this conversation about the great banquet. When the Israelites returned from the Babylonian captivity, most of our people could not speak Hebrew anymore. They spoke Aramaic. That's still true on this day. So only the scholars could understand and interpret Hebrew. So when they came into our synagogues, they would read the text from the Hebrew into the Aramaic and make some explanations so that people would know what the best interpretation of a particular passage might be. And this is the Targum's rendition of the passage I just chanted to you from Isaiah. Targum said this, Yahweh of hosts will make for all the peoples in this mountain a meal. And although they supposed it an honor, it will shame, that will be a shame for them and great plagues, plagues from which they will be unable to escape, plagues whereby they will come to their end. That's what the Targum taught. That's what we believed. The book of Enoch was written about 100 years before my day. It was hard, highly regarded by teachers of the law. It also had an interpretation of this passage in Isaiah. A Middle Eastern scholar summarized that teaching. He said this, This book speaks of a great banquet with the Messiah and affirms that the Gentiles will be included, but... The angel of death will be present and will use his sword to destroy those Gentiles. The banquet hall will run with blood and the believers will be obliged to wade through the gore to reach the banquet hall where they will sit down with the Messiah. Our brothers, the Essenes in Qumran, published a messianic rule and this was their rule. Only pious Jews are allowed at the banquet. And they added this. No one who is smitten in the flesh or paralyzed in his feet and hands or lame or blind or deaf or smitten with a visible blemish is allowed to sit at the table with the Messiah. So when Ehud heard Jesus talk about inviting the lame and the blind, he Grab this opportunity by saying, as I said before, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. These writings from the Targum, from the book of Enoch, from the Essenes were etched into our minds. We believed they truly represented what God taught. We could not wait until this rabbi to hear what this rabbi would say and challenge the errors of his teaching. And so, this is what he said. A man 
once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, crippled, and blind, and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. How dare he! How dare he speak to the most important men in our village and condemn us? No one would ever treat our host in our village like that. No one would make these flimsy excuses. Oh, I bought a, I bought a plot of land and I have to go inspect it. No, that didn't happen. Anyone who would buy some land would spend months examining it to make sure that the soil was fertile and that there was plenty of sunshine to make the crops grow. Or who would buy five yoke of oxen without making sure absolutely that they were matched together and would pull well? Or I got married and can't come. Come on, give me a break with that. What weakness is that? Then he said, to bring the poor and the lame from the village. Even though these were Jews, they were smitten in the flesh, according to the Essenes, and were disqualified. Then it got worse. The master of the house commanded that people living in the hedges and the highways be brought in. Those were the Gentiles, the goyim. How could he suggest such an outrageous thing? He's mocking us. He's mocking us. He's mocking us. Didn't Solomon say in his Proverbs, toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor? Who mocks? Who scorns? Is it not the proud? Is it not those who think themselves better than the others? Is he saying that we're proud? Is he saying that I'm proud? So the big question is who is fit to eat bread in the kingdom? According to Yeshua, it's the poor and crippled. People have nothing to recommend themselves, people who cannot provide for themselves, the blind and the lame. They might have starved had not the master called them into his banquet hall and provided food for them. 
What he's saying, it seemed to me, that it's not the leaders of the community, it's not the people who have places of honor in the religious institutions, it is in fact those who have no right to be there. But (laughs) he opens the door to those who are blind and lame and outside So, someone once told me that Yeshua said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, I'm among the righteous. I have spent my whole life making sure that I follow every jot and tittle of the law, and I've been very successful at that. I've been laboring all my life to do this, but I, but, but have I kept it perfectly? Really? Huh. I have to say I coveted Asher's house and his servants. What did Yeshua call the, the Pharisees? He said this to us, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's just what I've done. That's just what I've done. I've maintained a respectable outward appearance, but inside I have seethed with jealousy, with lust, with hatred. Our traditions kept us from experiencing God. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So I'm going to step back from Issachar, and let's look at the big question. Let's look at what I think may have happened to Issachar, because this happened to other Pharisees and priests in the time of Jesus. I believe that he left the village and started following Jesus. He heard Jesus' teaching, he saw the miracles, and came to believe that Jesus was indeed the true Messiah. I think he was there in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified and was among the 500 or so people that saw Jesus after he, was ro- after he was raised from the dead. He came to understand what Nicodemus reported that Jesus had said to him, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have ever lasting life. So we get to the big question. Who is fit to eat bread in the kingdom? The first answer is easy. It's anyone, no matter their ethnic background or station in life, who comes to the master, who comes to God in response to his invitation. The second answer is more personal. Let me ask you this. Do you ever have a hard time 
when someone is correcting you and told you that you could do things differently or better, even when it's done to help you out? I must say I do. You see, I fight the same battle that Issachar and the Pharisees fight. It's pride. That keeps me distant from others, but more importantly, it keeps me distant from God and unable to recognize and receive his love and grace. When I put down my pride and realize I need, what I need is something I cannot earn, God pours his love and forgiveness upon me. That's what Issachar earned. Jesus opposed the, the Samaritans not to shame them, but to help them see that their pride kept them from the grace and forgiveness God so much wanted them to have. That's why the Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He was opposing them so that they would understand the depth of their brokenness and come in humility to God. That's what he wanted. That's true for everyone, for everyone. Sometimes he does oppose us. He makes things difficult for us so that we can pay attention. But please note this, <laughs> that having trouble does not necessarily mean that God's opposing you. Jesus says in this world we have trouble, so we're going to have trouble all the time. It's the harsh world that is a reality of the damaged sin that we brought into it. Having, having troubles also may mean you're facing spiritual warfare. But when trouble does come, it's always a good idea to do a heart check. This is an opportunity given to us by God. What's going on, God? What do I need to learn? What can I learn? How can I grow closer to you in this? Where are you in the middle of this? And as you talk to him that way, he will bring a clarity that you haven't had in other ways. You see, when we come humbly before him, he offers his love and his grace to us. He offers himself to us, himself, his very self, because as we believe, he comes to fill us with his Holy Spirit so his presence lives within us. We get God himself. Today, will you receive the grace he so much wants to give you? Will you sit down in the middle of the hard moments and look to God and ask him questions and seek his word? I think you'll find him there. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. Let's pray. Our God and Father, you are better than we can imagine. You are more gracious than we can suppose. And you are more present than we could experience. You are with us in the good times and the hard times. And in the hard times, you offer us 
a place to talk. You offer us space to learn and grow. You offer us your love even at these broken moments. I pray for each one of us here that by your spirit we might meet with you in the times of struggle because of your promise. In Jesus' name, amen.